Welcome to the Compelling Words Podcast. The Word of God is meant to move us. It's meant to call us to action. Listen in as Kevin Purdy teaches and presents a genuine and compelling message from the Word of God. A, uh, a, well-known, a well-known but a local artist... Um, had his painting on, on display at kind of the, the, the closest art gallery that he could find. He had his art displayed there and you know, was kind of hoping things would go well, that maybe he'd have a couple sales of some paintings and such. And Well, sure enough, he got a call from the owner to stop by the gallery as soon as he could. So the next day, he stopped in and I've got some good news to tell you, the owner of the store said, the owner of the gallery said. Well, what's that? The artist asked. Well, someone came by and they looked at your paintings and they were really interested and really excited about your paintings and they asked me what I thought the value of them was and would that value increase upon your death? And I told him, I said, well, yes, they are very valuable, and they will probably go up in value uh, when the artist passes. When I told him that, he bought all of your paintings. Wow, the artist said, all 23? Yeah, he bought all 23 of your paintings. That's great, that's awesome. Who, who did that? Who was it? He said, well, that's the bad news, because it was your doctor. <laughs> Last Sunday, I talked about one of the minor prophets uh, from the Old Testament. We have major prophets and minor prophets, and we talked about one of the minor prophets from the Old Testament, a man named Zephaniah. And he was a prophet who was giving bad news to the people of God. He was telling them about judgment and destruction that was coming from God. And it was a prophecy for them, but it's also a prophecy that is meant for us. Because God's word does tell us that there will be a last day. There will be a final day, a day of judgment, a day of justice. Judgment for those who are still guilty of their sin. Now at first, Zephaniah's words were spoken specifically to Judah. Specifically to the chosen people of God in the southern kingdom. But then, as he continued to talk, he turned his words against the nations all around them. He says, they'll be destroyed... Because of their sin. One of those nations that he mentions was Assyria. And one of the cities within Assyria was Nineveh. And in Zephaniah 2.13 he says this. He says, He will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria. Leaving Nineveh utterly desolate and as dry as the desert. Now when, when the people of Judah heard this... They probably were shaking their heads in total agreement. Oh yes, those nations, that Assyri- that, those Assyrians, they deserve that kind of judgment. They need that. That's, that's what they deserve. That's probably what they were thinking. 
In chapter 3, Zephaniah says, Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled the oppressing city. And then he begins to declare why they will be judged. In Zephaniah 3, 2. She obeys no one. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does, she does not draw near to her God. Now I want to take, I want to take just a moment and stop and look at those uh, different accusations. Number one, she obeys no one. Now other translations rephrase this as she listens to no one. She listens to no voice. In other words, they were people who lived without any restraints, without any authority. They didn't listen to anyone telling them how they should live. They didn't listen. They just did whatever they wanted to do. They were like sheep who would not listen to their shepherd. They just wandered about doing whatever they wanted to do. Number two, she accepts no correction. No one could ever tell them that they were doing anything wrong. Because they were like, no, we're not, we're not doing anything wrong. Don't, don't try to correct us. We're fine. They would not take correction. They were rebellious. They were defiant. They would not take any guidance or any instruction. Number three, she does not trust in the Lord. God had been consistent and faithful to them over and over again. And yet they refused to trust and obey the Lord. For there's no other way. They refuse that. Number four, she does not draw near to her God. God continued to invite them into his presence and into his care, into a relationship with him, and yet they kept moving further and further away from him. They had no interest in being with the Lord. Now, can I ask, can I ask what is probably an obvious question? Does that sound familiar? Does that description sound familiar? A culture that does not listen to the voice of God, that does not take correction from God, people who do not trust in the Lord, people who do not draw near to God, that Old Testament prophecy certainly seems to apply today, doesn't it? But have you ever watched a movie and it has a big plot twist in it? I love movies that have a plot twist. I love it when all of a sudden things change and it goes in unexpected direction. You know, you think you know what's happening, but then surprise, the good guy is actually the bad guy. That's a plot twist. These words from Zephaniah, they have a twist. And it happens right about verse 4. In Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 3 to 5, here's what it says. Her officials within her are roaring lions. Her rulers are evening wolves who leave nothing for the morning. And then here's the plot twist. Her prophets are unprincipled. They are treacherous people. Her priests profane the sanctuary and do violence to the law. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no wrong. Morning by morning, he dispenses his justice. And every new day, he does not fail. Yet the unrighteous know no shame. 
The people of Judah were hearing these words right after Zephaniah was talking about Assyria and Nineveh being destroyed. And they were hearing these words and they probably thought, this is all about Assyria. This is still about Assyria. They're the ones that are doing wrong. They're the ones who God is speaking against. But when good old Zeph talks about prophets and priests and the law, that doesn't sound like the pagan nations around them anymore. That sounds like Judah. That's not Nineveh. That's more like Jerusalem. Zephaniah started speaking God's judgment against Judah, God's chosen people. And then he spoke in a much broader context Judgment in all directions for all nations. And now, once again, he's talking specifically to God's people. And even more, specifically to the people of Jerusalem. He says that their officials and their leaders are like wild animals devouring everything. Even their religious leaders are unprincipled, treacherous, profane to what is holy, and corrupting the law of God. God didn't change. He was and will always be righteous. God continued to show justice, but yet it says in the verse that the unjust have no shame. Have you ever noticed that people just don't seem to be embarrassed with their sin anymore? Have you ever noticed there just doesn't seem to be much shame, much embarrassment about sin anymore? Remember the story of David and Bathsheba? You remember that story? Uh, David was king of Israel, a man of God, but he gave in to sin and he committed adultery. He had this illicit affair. And then in an effort to hide his guilt, he had the husband of the woman put to the front line of the battle where he was then killed. A prophet named Nathan came to see David and he told David a story. He told David a story about a rich man who had this whole herd of sheep, but yet he still stole a poor man's one and only beloved lamb. And when David expressed outrage at the man who did this, Nathan said, that man's you. That man is you. Sometimes we can be so quick to see the sin that's around us that other people are involved in, that we fail to see it in our own life. The New Testament teaches us that the church, those in Christ, are the people of God. So when God speaks against the sin of His people, He's speaking to us. Because we're the people of God. We are the church. So when God speaks against the sin of His people, He's speaking to us. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is writing to a New Testament church in the city of Corinth. And apparently, as you read the letter, you discover that someone in the church was involved in a sinful sexual relationship. And the church tolerated it. Not only were they just kind of ignoring it, they almost kind of endorsed it. There was no shame about it. It was just like, oh, that's just, the, what, that's just what they're doing. That's all right. We're not going to criticize it. We're not going to say anything negative about it. 
And here's what the apostle writes to them in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 3. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I'm present in spirit. And as if present, I've already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. Paul, in this letter, calls out the sin. And he pronounces judgment on the one who did it. Now we are saved by grace. That is clear. The New Testament is very clear that we are saved by grace. But grace does not give us a license to sin. Grace does not give us a reason, a license to sin and not worry about it. We will still be accountable for our actions. Apparently, in this church, there were people participating in sin with an attitude kind of like, hey, it's okay because we're all saved by grace. This is okay. God's going to forgive me for this. It's all good. Don't worry about it. It's the... It's the same attitude that Zephaniah's prophecy spoke to. Because you see, Judah, or Jerusalem, they thought they were God's people, and therefore God's judgment was for everyone but them. God's judgment is for everyone but us because we are the people of God. Zephaniah's prophecy and the Apostle Paul's writing in the New Testament both give affirmation that sin outside of the church and sin inside of the church will face judgment. Back in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 8, I have decided to assemble the nations, to gather the kingdoms, and to pour out my wrath on them. All my fierce anger, the whole world will be consumed by the fire of my jealous anger. There will be a final day, a day of reckoning. There will be that day to come. But there's something special on the other side of that day. There's something special on the other side of judgment. We move to Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 9 through 13. Then I will purify the lips of the people, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord. And serve him shoulder to shoulder. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, my scattered people will bring me offerings. On that day, you, Jerusalem, will not be put to shame for all the wrongs that you've done to me. Because I will remove from you your arrogant boasters. Never again will you be haughty on my holy hill. But I will leave within you the meek and the humble. The remnant of Israel will trust in the name of the Lord. They will do no wrong. They will tell no lies. A deceitful tongue will not be found in their mouths. They'll eat and lie down, and no one will make them afraid. Doesn't sound, it just sounds different, doesn't it? Mr. Doom and Gloom has changed his tone. And now he's giving words of hope. Because now, what he's doing, now he's talking about the remnant. Now he's talking about the remnant. You know what a remnant is? It's a leftover piece of fabric. You start with a big piece of fabric and you cut out the portion that you're going to use. 
But that leaves an unused smaller portion, a remnant. Most of the time, the remnant is just waste. It's worthless. It just gets thrown away. It's scraps. But in the Bible, God often speaks about his people as a remnant, a small group of holy people, a small group of people set aside to be holy. They're the meek. They're the humble. They are those who trust in the Lord. The remnant are those who stay faithful to the Lord. The prophet Isaiah said this. He said, the number of the Israelites will be like the sand of the sea. Only the remnant will be saved. My people, the Israelites, will be like the sand of the sea. But the remnant, only the remnant will be saved. The New Testament teaches us that God's people come from all nations. The remnant isn't cut from just one cloth. But it's still just a remnant. It's still just a small group. And do you remember what Jesus said in the Gospels? In Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 to 14, Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are a few. In the world, here and now, Christians are always going to be a minority group. But that minority is traveling a road that leads to life. And that's what Zephaniah describes. He describes a life beyond the day of reckoning. A picture of purity and unity and worship. No more arrogance. No more pride. No more sin. Food and rest with nothing to fear. What does that sound like? That's heaven. That's what he's describing. That's heaven. Revelation calls it a holy city. A place with no more crying or no more pain. A place where nothing impure will ever enter into it. And a place where God will live with us. That's heaven. Zephaniah ends his prophecy with some incredible good news. Zephaniah 3.15 says, The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. Verse 17, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Once again, good old Zeph has some good words for those who have kept the faith. Once again, he has good words for those who've kept their faith in God and for us today who are in Christ. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. He is with you, and never again will you fear any harm. He is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. 
He will take great delight in you. In His love, He will no longer rebuke you. And then, and then He actually says that He will rejoice over you with singing. He will rejoice over you with singing. I remember, I remember when our kids were little. I'm talking newborn little, which was a long time ago. I remember back then, our kids were little, and I remember watching Leanne hold them real close. Hold them so close, and then she would sing over them. Those songs came from her heart. And the soothing melody that she would sing would comfort them. Any agitation or any discomfort, her voice and that singing would settle them. She sang over them because she loved them. I didn't sing over them because I loved them. Uh, That's kind of another story. But she sang over them because she loved them, and that soothing, calming voice singing over them settled them. Imagine, imagine the Lord no longer rebukes you for your sin, but he rejoices over you with singing. He no longer rebukes you because of your sin. He rejoices over you with his singing. Have you ever stopped to think about God's singing? When I read this verse as I studied this week, that image just hit me so hard. Trying to picture God holding me up and singing over me. Wow. And that's who God is. He is good and he is gracious And he loves you. That's why he tells us. That's why he tells us there will be a judgment. It's not to be mean and harsh. It's to just give us that word of warning. He loves us. He wants us to know what is coming. I'm guessing if you've raised kids, I'm guessing there's been a moment where you've given your kids a countdown. You know, you want them to listen. I want you to listen. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to count to five. If you don't listen, you're going to be in trouble. The Word of God has told us that judgment is coming. And God has told us what we need to do. And not only that, He gives us what we need to be safe. He gives us Jesus. 2 Peter chapter 3 Verse 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Can I tell you that the countdown has started? It started the moment that the Christian church was born. Jesus said, I will come again, and that will be the end. That will be the final judgment. And God has given so much time. There's a lot of time that has passed between then and now. But it's because he doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. But someday, that day will come. 1 Thessalonians 5.2 says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. It means that it will come when we don't expect it. Any time, any moment. The last words of Zephaniah 
are good words to hear. They are words of hope and restoration. It's a promise, but it's a promise for the remnant. That's who it's for. It's hope and it's restoration for that few, that remnant. It's a heavenly promise for those who are saved through Christ. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. At that time, I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles. I'll give them praise and honor in every land where they've suffered shame. At that time, I will gather you. At that time, I'll bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among all the people of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. This little book in the Old Testament, I'm not going to ask the question, but I'm guessing that if I did ask the question, did you know about the book of Zephaniah? I'm going to guess there's a fair number of you that probably were like, eh, what? Zephaniah is not a book we're not all too familiar with. But this little book in the Old Testament gives us some very strong words. Words of judgment because of sin and rebellion against God, but also words of restoration for those who keep the faith. God gathers his people, the outcasts, the poor, the broken. He gathers his people and he brings them home. Judgment is not the end when you are in Christ. Colossians 2, verse 13 through 15 says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Thanks for listening. Please take a moment to rate this podcast. May the Word of God be living and active in your life.